Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back and buongiorno to all of our paisani out there in podcast land. You are listening to the Italian American Power Hour, and I am your friendly neighborhood moderator, John Viola. And uh, before we start today's show, I want to give you all a brief explanation of what you're about to hear. You know, this show, The Power Hour, was born out of a real passion that all five of us have for who we are and the stories and similarities of our Italian-American experience. We started this show because this is the kind of stuff we as friends talk about when we're together and there is no microphone recording and we felt very confident that if we put it out there in a podcast, the 25 million Italian-Americans across the country would respond and relate and derive something from our take and our examination of who we are. And so far, over the course of the months that we've been putting the show together, we've seen that response. And grazie to all of you out there who are listening and interacting with us. You know, we get a lot of feedback and audience interaction. And that's one of the best things about the show, because that's why we did it. It's about belonging to something greater than yourself. And I think that something, in this case, is our shared Italian-American experience. Um, but we do realize, even though we all grew up in New York and New Jersey and the New York metropolitan area. If you go coast to coast and border to border, there are tons of diverse versions of the Italian-American experience that you want to hear more about. So we listened. What you're about to hear today was recorded this summer, and it's a pilot episode for a series that we're calling Greetings from Italian America. You know, those of us who make up this little group, uh, professionally and personally, for work and for fun. We spend a lot of time traveling the nation, seeking out the Italian-American experience in all of its diverse manifestations. And between us, we've gone to and gotten to know and explore a lot of interesting places and see the richness of diversity that exists even within our own community. And this is a chance for us to celebrate that. So this summer, we took the time to sort of lay out how something like this might go. And myself... Pat, Dolores, and her husband, Drew, were afforded an opportunity to spend some time with the community activist and luminary from a community that we don't get to talk about much and learn a little bit about it and bring that to you. So it took us a while to fit this into the calendar. We had our history series in its four parts. We had our Christmas Eve shows. And so this is something that's been brewing for a long time. But before we start the show, we do want to ask everybody for a little bit of forgiveness for the sound quality of this episode. 
I think it's safe to say that when you put together a room full of passionate Italian Americans and talk about who we are, you're going to get the laughter, the shouting, the talking over one another. And that's really part of what this show is about, being our authentic selves and exploring who we are together. But this particular episode is certainly a little rougher around the edges than we'd like it to be. And we're continuing to work hard to improve the audio quality every episode so that the show is more accessible and more enjoyable for all of you out there. But the truth is, this is a great episode with a lot of great content, an interesting look at a unique community and a wonderful community leader, and we wanted to make sure that we were able to share it with you. We love this concept of going out on the road, and we hope you like it too. And we look forward to bringing you more of these greetings from Italian America in the future. So without further ado, let me take you back in time and turn back the tape and transport you all to a beautiful destination known as the Queen City, and maybe more appropriately for those of us in the new neighborhood, the City of Good Neighbors. I'm talking about the one and only Buffalo, New York. Hope you like being on the road with us. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again Life I love is making music with my friends And I can't wait to get on the road again On the road again Welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the Italian American Power Hour. Uh, I am your faithful moderator, John Viola, and really excited to be here today for another great episode of Italian Power with some great friends and a new voice, a couple of new voices that we think you guys are really going to enjoy. So, first of all, I just want to introduce some of our regular panelists. Uh, my partner in crime, and uh, a man who has been described as an Italian-American Wikipedia, Mr. <laughs> and you heard the famous laugh right there, so she needs no introduction, Ms. Dolores Alfieri Taranto. Yes. Those of you out there who have been fans for a long time, you know Drew Taranto, Dolores' husband and a great friend, and uh, he's joining our panel today. And let me before I uh, introduce our final host for today... I want to just give everybody a little bit of insight into what we're doing, which is a little bit different. We are actually coming to you from the great city of Buffalo, New York. This this will be the first of hopefully many of the Italian American Power Hours Great Italian American Road Trip. So today, here in Buffalo, New York, we're joined by a man who really needs no introduction to this community, and I found out this afternoon is actually a fan of the show and a longtime listener, Peter Loyacono. And Peter is the president of the Federation of Italian-American Societies of Western New York, which is centered here in Buffalo, and a 30-year teacher of the Italian language, and, right up my alley, a recipient of the National Italian-American Foundation's Teacher of the Year Award in 2007. So, uh, credentials like you can't compare to... Peter, say hi to the audience. It's great to be here. Thank you very much. It's my, my honor and pleasure to finally be on this podcast that I've listened to for so long. I mean, you put me to sleep every night when I listen to you. No, but it's, it's, I put it on as I lie down, and it's oh, just so nice. soothing. And I no, and you have only, nightmares. Only an Italian would find us soothing. Yeah, that's true. It's your laugh. It's what it is. If you're not Italian, our show probably gives you PTSD. You are. You can sleep to this. That says a lot. No, I love it. Thank you so much. Well, Peter, we're really thrilled. Yes. I want to speak for everybody that you could be here with us today. And you know, like I said, we really want to get into the heart of 
all of these great communities out there. And I think Buffalo is one that maybe a lot of our listeners don't know about. So give us a little 3,000-mile overview of, uh, of the community out here. I'd love to. I'd love to. Um, basically, in the city of Buffalo, we our earliest Italian came here in 1848, but they didn't really start coming in big numbers until the late 1880s, turn of the century. And predominantly, they came from southern Italy and Sicily. Some of the earliest Italians that came here, they were stonecutters. They were from they were Marchigiani, and they settled in Dullivan on the east side of Buffalo. And all the little Italies that were in Buffalo were kind of segregated by where the Italians came from. So the the Calabresi were in South Buffalo, and um, the Marchegiani were in the East San Felesi, which is from the area of Potenza, Basilicata. They were in um, the Myrtle Street, Swan Street area of Buffalo. Uh, The largest uh, group of Italians that were in Buffalo was the West Side, the Lower West Side, and that was predominantly Sicilian. And that uh, eventually is uh, carried on to North Buffalo. We also have a group of Abruzzesi, and they're in Lovejoy, East Lovejoy, and they have a large Italian club in, in East Lovejoy as well. So they're they're kind of from all over, predominantly South, predominantly Sicilian, um, and and basically they came here for a variety of reasons, but all for a better life, and had struggles and difficulties like most everybody did when they came here. Um, were able to overcome them and uh, went on to be great leaders and great contributors of many, many things, including two mayors. Um, and we, most of the developers in Buffalo are of Italian heritage, uh, and we are very proud of all of the contributions that of Italians have, have made to our city. And, and your federation now uh, started, I believe you told me, in 1907, right? Correct, yeah. So that's obviously uh, the, the beginning of a sort of collectivizing of the community. Before that, it's probably similar to the story of most communities in this country, right? There's resistance to the Italians. Uh, oh, give us a little about sort of what what we've incredible got uh, Italians were were. They really didn't want them to uh, go down Main Street. They were said, "You have to stay at your, you know, your part of town." We weren't allowed to worship in our in our cathedral, Saint Joseph's Cathedral. We were relegated to a basement chapel. We had a lot of misunderstandings. A lot of children were labeled retarded when they went to school, and it was just pretty awful. A lot of the things that happened back then. I would say probably. One of the biggest problems or causes of this problem was the media and the the print media, because they would print, you know, write these newspapers, the Buffalo News, which would say Italy is dumping its dregs of society onto our shores, and it would go on to list and say these people are filthy and they're vile in an awful, awful language. Our organization did a, a documentary in 2007 called La Terra Promessa, and it was the story of our whole experience. And in there we. We didn't want to make it all happy because we wanted to really show what we went through. And so we did uh, a lot of, dug up a lot of that history. And it's right there in the print media back in the time, and it's disgusting. Right. That's, I mean, that's, and that's the experience for so many communities around the country, right? They started with this horrible resistance. And mm-hmm. I always say we want to do a line of t shirts about the Italian American experience. And I think, you know, we come from the basement church is a slogan that we could really mm-hmm. wear with pride these days because so many churches exactly. were started as uh, sort of resistance centers to. The, uh, the hesitancy to have us here and I, I got to go to Mass this morning in mm-hmm. a really interesting parish, uh, St. Mm-hmm. Anthony's of Padua tell us a little about that parish Sure, really cool St. Place. Anthony's our Italian mother church of, uh, of Buffalo and Western New York founded in 1891 by the Scalabrinian Fathers um, <clears throat> we basically 
uh, celebrate Mass there in Italian, 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. We also do the Latin Mass, the Tridentine Mass, at 9 a.m. We do an English Mass on Saturdays. That area where you were, and although you wouldn't be able to tell now, was all tenements. Wow. And it went all the way down to the to the the river, and so um, <clears throat> yeah, it's 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 not like parkland. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a downtown area. It's it's not really you know there's not much of a neighborhood until you go further up, but um, quite honestly, that was all Italian, and I think the neighborhood went anywhere from ten to twenty thousand at the time. We had Mother Cabrini. We've had four saints pray in that church. Wow. Mother Cabrini wow. being one of them. Wow. Um, she came, and it was a, a beautiful thing. Um, as she came to help the poor Italians at the time who were struggling and suffering uh, in that area. When is that, roughly? We're looking at around the turn of the century. I I don't have the exact date, but she's definitely been there, and she prayed there, and along with... uh, with three others. When Scalbrini came and visited the U.S. in the early 1900s. That's correct. That's correct. He landed in Jersey City to a crowd. And there was no Scalbrini. Of course he landed in Jersey. <laughs> Why wouldn't he land in Jersey? Where else? Why, what, I mean, <laughs> where else but Jersey? <laughs> to all of our Jersey fans out there. No, but they all know it's true. I mean, if you were a saint coming from Italy, why wouldn't you? I mean, That's Mother Cabrini true. was five years in Newark. Yeah, it's true. So I would go to Jersey first, and, and New York would be at best an afterthought. I mean, but Scalabrini, I, I mean, mm-hmm. when Scalabrini landed in Jersey, it was, I think, fifteen or 18,000 people that greeted him mm-hmm. wow. when he arrived, because he processed, actually, the Holy Rosary. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine he was here. Oh, he was. He so definitely was. Cabrini was here, Scalabrini, mm-hmm. Scalabrini. I think he's a blessing. Father, well, Father, also Father Baker, who is not yet... Oh, uh, Father Baker of he was the, also of the Our Lady of Victory. Our Lady of Victory Basilica. Basilica. Okay. So that's three. We've got to find out who that fourth one is. We'll put it on the... This will bother you for weeks. This will go crazy. <laughs> That'll be up I'll, just, I'll just make a call. We'll you get it. Text me right. I will. Google it up all night. I She passed away in Chicago in 1917. Okay. She was in about 1895, 1905? Yeah. I want to say it was really 1900s, but I could be, you know, could be earlier. That's probably around. Americans today, this is an interesting question for the audience to respond to. Uh, so if you're out there listening, you know, shoot us an email, join us on social media. Do you think Italian Americans today relate to Mother Cabrini? I mean, she was iconic. No, they don't even know who she is. For so many generations. I mean, this was this was our The move to her beatification was huge and was immense. And it was it was one of the events that united us as Italian Americans. Yeah, I think you're right. I think she it was, probably was yeah. the, the prime because if you take the whole Colombian movement for Columbus Day. That was the, we're Italians and we're here, and, and, and that was our the holiday that we adapt. I mean, that's a whole, that's a series. Yeah, but, that's, but Columbus Day, yeah. that, the movement to make that holiday happen long before we got No, no, I'm saying, sort of, right, but our spouse like, until yeah. it. But she was. Yeah, but she was an organic sphere, movement. Yeah. Number one, she was everywhere. Yeah. Her sisters had a presence everywhere, especially in Chicago and in other mm-hmm. parts of the country. And it really was a universal movement amongst Italian Americans in the late 30s for her canonization. And I think today people don't. Kids have no really idea appreciate she is, her no. role. I mean, they, yeah. you would think that she'd be in the same breath the, as like Dimaggio, Sinatra, and right. but one personal outrage, and I hope this is an outrage. If there's any priests listening to this, the centennial of her death was in 2017. The U.S. bishops did nothing. I had spoken to the Mother Cabrini sisters hmm. a, a good five or six years out. The U.S. bishops should make it the year Mother Cabrini. You know, on both sides, there's a lot of arguments about immigration and everything else. She was at the forefront when the concept of immigration and migration and migrants was really developing. She was really with Scalabrini, probably two of the people, not even in a religious sense, in sure. any sense, yeah, in, in, sense. In, in, in a social sense, accepting a concept of, of migration, a sense of economic immigration. 
She was the first canonized American citizen saint. Yes. She was a naturalized American citizen. She encouraged her students and her children in her schools and orphanages to learn English and to adapt to the United States. And the reason I say it is to be part of America, to feel as Americans, to be part of the American fabric. And the Catholic Church in the United States, to its shame, did nothing to commemorate. And why do you think that is? Because she was Italian. Yeah. Just that that the, the basement, mm-hmm. I don't care what they say, and I don't care who gets annoyed at this, to keep the Italians in the basement church mentality is still there. Because when they close parishes, what's the first parish to go? Mm-hmm. The Italian parish. The Italian parish and the Irish parish are down the block from each other. The Italian parish yeah. is sacrificed. Yeah. It's just, because the chances are run by people with the same last name that I have. Mm-hmm. I have the right to say this. I think it's disgraceful, but we got our plug in for Mother the They complained in our church when they were up. Redoing things right after, you know, I don't know how far it was after Vatican II, but they said there's just too many statues in this church. Wow. Too many statues. Sure. To be fair, Pat and I went to Mass there this morning. We went to Latin Mass, and we were talking to a guy as we walked in about the saints and the statues, and there's a statue of Our Lady of. Libera. Libera. La Madonna de Libera. Yeah. And Madonna he's Libera. like, oh, yeah, we got all these statues. He was a Polish guy, he says. And this one's a little bit excessive, and we thought. So he didn't know we were Italian American, so he felt safe to say it because yeah. he didn't know who we yeah, were. Yeah, I, I felt a little weird, but to me, you know, like we go. Well, I said, to Tim, who are you to talk? Yeah, you so did. Yeah. Saying, I said, yes, I said, did, yes. I said, you comment. I call, first of all, respect any less. I first told me, I said, you comment. I said, your comments obnoxious. We go to mass in the time. The guy was handing out. I said no. I said no. Because that is not that is not an insult. That's a fact. It was factually obnoxious, and I mean, I'll leave it at that. Again, because they felt comfortable to be able to condescend to the Italian-Americans. It was part and parcel of the Catholic Church in the United States. When guys went to the seminaries in the 50s, the Italian-American priests had to kind of explain themselves, the Italian-American seminarians. They went out into the world, into the Italian-American parishes, to discourage the, the outward expressions of Italian Catholicism, like the processions and stuff like that. Even though St. Peter and Paul were both martyred in the motherland, and we were the first country really en masse with the Greeks to receive Christianity. So no one, no one has the right to stand in judgment to us, in my humble opinion. I mean, it's funny oh, because... Uh, yeah, really. I second that. <laughs> we need a mic drop sound. <laughs> we stand second to no one. We, no one has any... And I'm going to say one more thing. The diocese of Buffalo, because for some, a thousand years from now, if there's Italians and they're listening to us is in an archive somewhere, let this be remembered. Buffalo as a diocese was very rough on Italians. Yeah, extremely. And no one had it as rough on a diocesan level as the Italian-Americans did in Buffalo. And that's why they didn't have a lot of feasts and processions, because they had pressure from the bottom and they had pressure from the top. Well, that's one Because the, the Scalabrinians, there was, and that's probably going to release it up, but I, I, I was either a Scalabrinian or a Servite. Mm-hmm. I think it was who was here, because you know my friends doing the documentary on Italian-American feast that basically said who was in the north of Italy. It's like, ah, I don't kind of like the way these people operate with this Italian, southern Italian feast procession in the street. And he got the chancery on board in the diocese here in Buffalo, and that's why there was pressure here not to have those outward Italian-American signs of our culture. But I'm done. Mm. Well, we, well, luckily, in 2018, and for a long time, we were still doing our processions. That's right. Good and we're, we still, fight we, fight. we have three a year. We have Santa Rosalia, Santa Antonio, and we do La Madonna, which varies depending on who's uh, who's in the running to be up for the next Madonna procession. Can I make a comment about Buffalo? I saw Moron di Perno, which is from San Fele, I think. That's right. In Provincia Potenza. Moron de Miracoli from Musumelis here. That's right. Rosario. Yeah, where are they from? Palermo. Well, it's 
we share La Madonna del Rosario. There's Monte d'Oro, there's Valle d'Olmo, there's, there's all different little towns that say, that's ours. How about Madonna de Liber? Madonna de Liber is from Prato La Perigna. It's a, a town in Abruzzi. Ah, she looks She's it. Abruzzese. So you could say. No, because, no, the artistic style of those statues, it's like Sicilians have a certain style, and the Neapolitans. Yeah, right and right. San Angelo from Coco. Sant'Angelo Delicata. Delicata is there, the Carmelite Mara right. of Sicily. Santa Gemma. It's, oh, Gemma Galgani is there? Gemma Was there a big Abruzzese? We have a large Abruzzese community. Is she Abruzzese or Marquejana? She's from one of those places. Uh, I'm not sure on that one. So there are still feasts going on. Every yes, day. we do. Can I ask you? San Giuseppe is our I, biggest. I have to say. Can I ask a non-Saint yes. Catholic question? Probably a good idea. Did you grow up in Buffalo, Peter? I did. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that. Tell us a little bit about Absolutely. what it was like growing up here. Tell us a little bit about your family. What Buffalo was like in terms of you know growing up Italian American. I would love to. Um, I first of all didn't know that we were, I don't want to say so different, but I guess yes. we were mm-hmm. in everything that we did, uh, which is very Italian-American with the, you know, the Sunday dinners and the family. I always had grandparents living with us. Mm-hmm. Always, always. So there's always several generations in the house. And that's though where I appreciated my love for my Italian culture was from my grandparents. My mother was divorced, which was, mm. you know, taboo mm. back then. And so my grandparents raised me, my great aunts and uncles raised me, and I learned so much from them. And so my grandmother was blind, I would do everything for her, and I learned a lot from her. I learned a lot of my Sicilian dialect from her, I learned a lot about our history, and um, she was a a great inspiration to me. And so uh, we lived in a neighborhood where everybody knew everybody, and you know, before me, all right, so in my parents' generation, they lived basically on streets where the whole family lived and in the same house it would be a four unit and everybody's in that house and and then the, the, the three houses next door were all relatives and so everybody knew everybody and you couldn't get in trouble because you know yeah, you would have mothers you. all the way down and everybody's watching you I'm gonna tell your mother you know and they all the way down the street and you get home and and then uh, and you know you'd be in trouble mine was a little bit less than that because they had left the west side the little Italy at the time but we went and moved to North Buffalo, which is like the second Little Italy. And so we still had that. We were mostly Italians on our street within the three streets of where I lived. And then the, the next group was the Polish. Mm. So there were, it was mostly Italian and Polish, but predominantly Italian. And, um, and it was wonderful to go up and down, walk up and down the street and just smell those beautiful aromas, <laughs> especially on a Sunday, but just about any day. And, you know, the gardens, especially at this time of year, who's got the guguza and uh, everything it was just... Uh, a wonderful time and you know we used to actually um, they called us porch monkeys because we would sleep on our porches sometimes oh, my friends absolutely horrific you know yeah isn't it <laughs> they um sleeping on the porches because we lived outside and, and i'm talking about the kids i don't mean the my grandparents didn't sleep on the porch but but the kids and we would just we we would hang out together we would all be together and and i remember some of the the non-italian uh, neighbors, there weren't too many of them, but they would just kind of leave. You At know, the root of it all is jealousy. And, yeah, I, yeah I, I, I think that's basically what it comes down to. But it was, uh, it was a beautiful time, and uh, I miss those little Italy's. I do. Now, you, know, you talk about those little Italy's and missing those little Italy's, and you know, we talk a lot on this show and uh, in, in just our conversations about how we are sort of evolving as a community away from living in neighborhoods, but 
coming together for events, coming together for institutionalized instances. You know, we're all here this weekend to be part of the Italian American Sons and Daughters Convention, their biannual convention. Great organization led by a great friend of ours and Mr. Basil Russo and just the nicest people you could ask for. And we've talked a lot over the past couple of days about how, you know, we don't live in neighborhoods like we used to. So you come to these kind of things and we get together at club meetings or whatever works mm -hmm. to give people the same socializing they used to have just walking down the avenue. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I've always heard about is the Gabani Festival up here. Mm -hmm. And everybody talks about it so highly. What's uh, what's that look like when it, when it comes to Buffalo? Is that a pretty big event for the city? <laughs> yeah, the well, I, I would say this, that we were known as the second largest Italian street festival in the country when we were in our little Italy on the street because it went on for, I think it was 16 blocks. Wow, okay, um, And at, when we were on Hurdle Avenue um, is when I think... It really flourished. Now, it started at St. Anthony's Church. Mm. That's where our original festival started. And it's funny because we're very particular about, you know, it's got to be this food. It can't be that food. That's not Italian. You, it's, we need only just Italian. But back then, they had hot dogs and hamburgers, and they had cotton candy and all of this stuff because everybody was Italian. <laughs> so they were all from Italy. They were all Italian. The authenticity they were all, they, was there. Yeah. The well, authenticity was there. There was no need for any of these, you know, Italian foods. Go home and eat Italian foods. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not. They're going to eat it over there. Really yeah. great point. That's well, true. I sure. totally get that. Sure. And so now, because huh. it's not there, yeah. you know, it had moved to Connecticut Street on the west side, which was still pretty authentic. We used to do nighttime processions, candlelight processions. It was a beautiful thing, and then that moved to North Buffalo as the, as the Little Italy's moved. And in North Buffalo, we were there for 29 years, Hurdle Avenue, it was great. Um, for several reasons, we have moved to the waterfront now. And one is because we could do fireworks in all Italian fests. You know, we all know about the fireworks. And so we can do that. We have more room. We have places where people could actually sit and even not stand like this and ready to come <laughs> over. Right? against yeah, each other. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of pros to it. We do miss being on Hurdle. But, you know, for what it is, it's very safe down there. And it's, it's well received. Do Italian um, people still come? Well, the thing is, as we know about of our Italian people, Italian people will eat Italian food in their home. They don't like so much to come to festivals and eat food. Yeah. So they're not great consumers of the food, you know, no matter if it's tripe or whatever it is that's down there, they'll eat at home. I like tripe out of a truck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like tripe. Tripe is yeah. fantastic in a sandwich. But the reason, really? the reason I ask that is because, is like, it, uh, I feel like we're evolving these things in a weird way. But Peter and I got to see each other last year at the Rochester Tank mm -hmm. Festival. And that had recently moved to the downtown from the Little right. Italy neighborhood. And I feel like we've moved away from, like you point out, these organic feasts that were just neighborhood block parties, right? right. It was like you didn't need right. anybody else there. Then they sort of became ways to reattach to the heritage that was moving away or whatever that is to come back to. And now a lot of these communities, we don't see it in the city, mm -hmm. in New York City, but I see a lot of these communities where they're moving to like fairgrounds exactly. or the downtown area and, and it's almost like an yeah, but, outward but there's opening a, but there's of another, there's another factor that you have to integrate into that and I'll use Hoboken Hoboken has the Feast of Marona di Martiri that they're all from Mofetta um, it was on 4th Street by St. Francis Church where the club was it migrated in 2000 to the Hoboken waterfront and if you've never been there it's probably the most gorgeous view of Manhattan one could possibly right. imagine. Yeah, you can't beat that. Mm -hmm. And now it's moved from the part of the Hoboken waterfront that it was in to another part that's more commercial. And the St. Anne's Feast goes on in Hoboken. 
and they want to move that to the waterfront because the neighbors don't want it anymore because yeah. Italian neighborhoods are not populated by Italians. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in the case of Hoboken, you have hipsters and yuppies who have no attachment to the parish, no attachment to the church, the culture, the neighborhood, and they just don't know why all those Italians have to make money. And they, mm-hmm. they see it as a moneymaker for the Italian parish. They don't belong, and they're like, take your... Take your feast and, and go somewhere else with it. So that's another fact. That's a huge complicated factor factors in these discussions. As to why we moved from Hurdle, the, longer, the businesses no longer, a lot of them supported it. The people were actually displaced for a week from their driveways and, and, and so on that lived right on the street there. So that was a real, you know, a headache on, on both sides. But the other thing that was particular to our festival was that when it was on Hurdle, it really became a city festival. Mm. So it's an Italian festival, but the city came. Yeah. And there would be Italians that would say, well, how come these people aren't all Italian? And yeah. I would turn to them and I would say, you should be proud of the fact that these people are out here to support our culture. We're and have, have a Yeah, have a great you know, appreciation and love for our cuisine and, and so on. But do you go to their festivals? Half the time it's no. We want to be appreciated from afar. We want yeah, people to yes. like us and, and talk about how great we are, but just don't come to the table. But the, you know, but the, but then the, you're interrupting. But the, festi- the festival is a, is a non-organic, is a synthetic invention of us as a community. Yeah. That's true. Because an Italian feast was based on a saint devotion and a church, and people came from a specific town. Mm -hmm. That's true. So if you came from Musumeli, Mm -hmm. you also, wherever they lived in Buffalo, I'm sure on that block, they had a feast for Moron di Maracoli, and the people who went were people from Musumeli. Mm -hmm. So even the probably, you know, the guy from the next town over who lived on a different block may not have gone. It was basically a family oh, yeah. reunion. And it's, more, it's morphed these, into a festival. Yeah, it's not and, 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 and that reminds me, though, too, talking about the blocks and may not have gone and this and that. Our even Italian little Italy's were very segregated from each other. Yeah. And they did not want any part of each other, yeah. actually, too. Because if you were Sanfalese, you didn't even talk to Sicilians. And the Sicilians didn't want anything to do with the Sanfalese. The Sanfalese all became Democrats. The Sicilians became Republicans because they wouldn't vote for Sanfalese. Okay? And, that, and that's how that was. He was like, oh, you know? No policy uh, involved. Yeah. Yeah. You can disagree with everything. That. We're going to vote like that because you vote like that. We're not you. Uh, we are lucky people. I remember even as a, as a kid, like even just my generation, and I used to have cousins in Ozone Park. They, like my parents originally came to Brooklyn and then they went to Ozone Park and then they went to the Hudson Valley and so we'd go visit cousins in Ozone Park from upstate and my, my cousins would be like we'd be sitting on the stoop and other kids would walk by they'd yell something at them and I, I'd say like you know gosh what's going on it's like we don't like them they're Sicilian <laughs> and I, I just wacky, like, you know, I would, even at young age I was like I think that's a little ridiculous me, guys. Yeah, <laughs> We are really removed from that southern Italian, like you know. Let's just yeah. be happy. Campania and Sicily in America just was like, well, may water. she rest in peace. I was really close to my grandmother, my, my dad's mom, and uh, when she was passing, I went to see her in the hospital, and she said to me, and her and I had like a phenomenally close relationship, really like a friend. I mean, I could talk to her about anything, and I, she pulled me in, and she said. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't marry a Sicilian. <laughs> I said, Grandma, my mom is Sicilian. Your daughter-in-law. My uncle is Sicilian. Your son-in-law. And my aunt from Louisiana is Sicilian. Your other daughter-in-law. So all of your kids married Sicilian. So maybe there was a... But, like, here it was, you know. She's been holding it the in. The time for, like, really great right, wisdom. Right. 
and that was what she chose, and it was like yeah. 2005. But I mean, I'm Drew Sicilian, and I'm I'm from Campania. I mean, we're from the. But that you're the, different. Our, my grandparents' generation. Right. So I'm just there was a definite. In this day and age, 100%. I'm just grateful he's Italian. Oh gosh. <laughs> you know, oh, I mean, that's just. I'm just happy we can somewhat connect right? on that. Your mother, so, when we were. Dealing with the, uh, the the wedding negotiations, the uh, owner and proprietor of the venue that we were at, yeah. she said something like, ah, this is something when we were negotiating. <laughs> and she looked at me and my father and she goes, not you though. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> Good Sicilian. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think you know, but no At first we didn't re- want her in there, and then we, then we were like, okay, mom, come on in. And man, she squeezed things yeah, out of that guy that I never would have... Nobody like an old Italian Oh My, my he, mother destroyed the her bleed. <laughs> she made him, like, bleed. <laughs> my mother comes pain. back with 40% off deals. Yeah. I'm like, huh, it's below what it costs to make it in China. So They're giving you this stuff. I don't know. We have more in common than what we don't have in common in Sicilians and Napolitanis. Really, by how we were treated over... The history by people from the north right. should right. really we should be person- together on personalities right. clash too much. Yeah, I imagine. they're very diff- the the Neapolitan brain is wired so much different than the Sicilian brain. Right, they want two different bite. Oh, you still see? No, I well, think years ago, that's the, the root of this. Sicilians in America. Are, are very very um, suspicious of everybody. So you don't often get an immediate warm feeling or reaction from them when you first meet them. Because you're coming... Imagine everybody that's been through Sicily. and right. They've done every... What have they done? They've come to take. Yeah. They've come to take from us. So they're not coming to give us anything. So what do you want now? And who are you? And why are you here? So that's the mentality <laughs> of a lot husband. of the Sicilian <laughs> mindset. That's like him in a oh, but that's just... From, <laughs> But that's just from our. We, it's innate. But once <laughs> we take you in, it's in my blood. It's in blood. But once we take you in, it's your you're golden. In. Right. You're I mean, golden. You can't get out. It's <laughs> you can't get out. It's interesting how we we always talk on this show about blood memory, about the idea yeah. that you can grow up hearing very little of the uh, like uh, regional languages or Italian, <laughs> and you you go in to actually learn it, or you go there and it just floods back. It, like there's something in the DNA. I really believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, at, we talk about this a lot, and I think as I've gotten older, I've sort of seen, when I was growing up as a kid, my, my dad's side's all from Campania, my mom is uh, half Sicilian, half Bades, and uh, when I was growing up as a kid, I really attached to the uh, sort of joyousness of the Campania side of my family and my experiences there in Campania. Everything was so sort of outward, lived outward and, and inviting. But as I've gotten older, maybe as the world has worn me down a little bit more, <laughs> I think of myself as so much more Sicilian than I realize. Of course, it's my mother, so your That's mother transfers yeah. so much yeah. to you. But yeah, my worldview, I fit in a little bit better there. Salvatore Genio called it. Yeah, we were in Naples, and we were having a conversation with a really great Neapolitan friend of ours, uh, Don Salvatore Argenio, who's one of the greatest... The great. Uh, the greatest, I think. Uh, uh, sartorial artists. Yes, sartorial mm. artists. He makes the most beautiful suits, ties, just a wonderful guy. And he's very active in Naples, and we have dinner with his wife, and we talk about the difference between Pat and I and how we do business... And she said, John, we love you in Naples, but you're really a Sicilian. And like, <laughs> just broke it down, right? And I was like, yeah. you know what? I kind of am, yeah. yeah. You loved it. I did kind of love it. Yeah, I did. Because we had been to Sicily on that trip, and Pat had never been there before and mentioned his impression was that it was a very dignified place. And I, 
sort of always took that for granted, but it's a very dignified Quiet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quiet. They're not quiet. like Naples. Neapolitans are bombastic. Yeah, they are. <laughs> the Ashcon. No, 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 go to Palermo, to the Vucheria, or any of those. That's true. <laughs> quiet. It's true. Nothing's but quiet. It's, but it's, you know, it's, it's volume loud. Volume loud. But it's not a cacophony of words. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. they are very respectful of, of the spoken word mm-hmm. in Sicily. It's not talking for the sake of talking. Do you, you know hear I mean? them, like, we went to Sicily, we weren't, you know, there for a long but Do you hear them screaming, the women screaming at their children from inside their apartments and their husbands? <laughs> I, like, know, that's a good mm-hmm. I gotta listen better for that next time. Because, I mean, that's like, that's very... <laughs> I, exactly, and I think what it is, is what Pat might be trying to get at, is I think us, like in Campania, the way we grew up, there's no um, privacy. Yeah. There's literally no Because Neapolitans are no... always on stage. Well, Napoli is one of the densest cities ma- in absolutely. all of Europe, yeah, actually. Exactly. I mean, I remember when I was like a little bit older, because we went to Italy a lot growing up, but then I was starting to really get a sense of my identity as an Italian-American, and I was, I was taking my mid-afternoon nap. <laughs> I was getting into it, and I was at my aunt's house, where we stayed a lot, and, excuse me, and, um... I, like the nap time was ending and I'm lying there and this woman's just the woman right next door I mean I know oh, she's just screaming at her kid her I know all her business and I realized like this is why we grew up yelling out the window at my aunt next door you know come on and they just yelling and my mom would be on the porch yelling at my dad and nobody would care and my aunt would scream at like there was no... Yeah, but there's an underlying... What is pro- that? Oskins. Everything's open. The Oskins. Probably the oh, Oskins. Here, here comes Matt. I didn't think of the Oskins. <laughs> <laughs> I love Please, it. Take it away, Pat. Because we see, we see Italy in terms of today. Okay. But that's the Italy of probably 6800 BC onward. Wow. But there were people in the south of Italy before the Greeks got there and before the Etruscans and the Romans went south. They were they were called the it, Italics in Calabria, right? Am I correct, John? You would know this. It's the Calabria. Sanites were in Benevento, the Sanites, the and what would be Caserta today, um, and so the Lazio, the Oscans were in Campania. The Lucanians and Basilicata. Lucanians and Basilicata, and if you think Sicily, Sicily, sure, Sicily, and and what happened was the Greeks came and invaded. And well, I don't want to say invaded, but populated. I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a, it, that's a that's a that's a series of yeah. what happened. But they brought Greek culture. But there was a culture that was already there. And as they intermarried in, and inter-the Greeks and the Etruscans and the Latins with the people who were there, that culture never evaporated. They say the Oscans had a, a strong theater tradition, and they had their own language. And they think that the uh, the schwa sound in Neapolitan, is a hangover from Oscan. Oscan. Give me an example. Really? Um, Fajen. Uh, oh, the, the, uh, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's an every word. It's a schwa. It's an e with a double. If, for linguistics, it's an e with the two dots on top. Mm-hmm. So they think that we got from the Oscans. They also think that Neapolitans' uh, preponderance to use vulgarity was another gift from the Oscans. <laughs> so That's the true. sexually inflict. There, uh, there and, really is a preponderance. Sure, because yeah. the, they said that the Oscans <laughs> theater, their comedies, they were they were famous, I guess, for writing comedies were so vulgar 
and so raunchy, really? the Romans refused to show wow. him. Wow. <laughs> so if the culture of Caligula said this yes. is over the top, <laughs> <laughs> that was coming from <laughs> <laughs> Didn't they find some, uh, I, I, I have to brush up on my early Italic histories, but... Don't we all? Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> I, I did, I did For sure. Stuff, but I mean, didn't they find some really interesting graffiti inscriptions in Oscan that were just like mind-blowingly vulgar? I remember somebody, uh, I remember reading about a discovery, I could be wrong, it might not have been Oscan, but in some pre-Latin uh, language that was like incredibly vulgar and uh, wow. shocked the archaeologists that, that translated it. <laughs> Uh, I don't oh know gosh. that specifically, but that would fit with the narrative. I can be totally wrong. But so that would fit with the Oscar narrative. We'll Google they would it just, if I'm wrong. Well, they think that they need... Where did the Oscars come from? They were already there. Like, so the American... They, like, yeah, indigenous, indigenous, they were the indigenous, indigenous people. people of the area. Pro, I mean, everybody came African. from somewhere. <laughs> yes, I, originally. We all, we all came from Ethiopia and the so Garden of Eden like, before that. Peter's like a soul brother here. Like, Peter clearly knows who the yeah. Oscans are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where you guys are. Like, uh, I'm fascinated by because the Oscans and the Lucanians are the foundational people that intermarry with Greeks and Etruscans and, and Romans and then eventually Normans, and that's made us who we are. Because remember, Sicily was controlled by Arabs for 400 years. Mm-hmm. And they brought a lot of their culture with it. So I think that a lot of the Neapolitan, not that that's the cause of it, but I'm saying that there's a lot of parts of regional cultures that people will overlook because they only look at what's on top. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. I mean, <clears throat> this show's about Buffalo, but you know we're, we're talking about a really interesting topic. Technically. Technically. <laughs> this is what happens uh, on the Power It's like what we were discussing. Exactly <laughs> this was Power for Freeform conversation. So, if I may, what, which what we're the best at? We're the best at. Peter said when we walked in, he waited for the entire uh, episode about how much to put in the booster, and we never gave him an answer. So this is a that was the litmus test to prove it really were time. Consequently, yeah. my the wedding that I went to, they got an IOU. <laughs> when I find out how much I'm supposed to after, put in, I'll let you know. After I'll part two, you. Uh, here's the gift. But I, you know that's what? That's what I love about this doing this show is like. Yeah, for those of you who are waiting for us to answer the question we ask or come up with a concrete don't conclusion, ask. don't ask. It's not going to happen. <laughs> this is just about digging in, make your own conclusion, yeah. and we'd love to hear it too. But to, to sort of bring us back into uh, what's going on here in Buffalo. Buffalo, yeah. Uh, Can we talk about Buffalo again? Yeah, so I want to get to know we're going to have to edit down, unfortunately, but I want to get to a couple. We'll do two out of this. Let's try to get one. <laughs> uh, I want to do a couple of questions. First of all, so Peter, you've been teaching Italian for 30 years. Correct. Public schools or Catholic schools? Public schools. Public schools. Inner city public schools. Inner city public schools here in Buffalo. Yes. How is the language in 2018 in western New York? The status of the Italian language. Yeah. Well, uh, it's good news and it's bad news. Okay. Uh, the good news is that at my school, it's flourishing. We have a sister school in Italy. Our Italian club just celebrated 100 years of our existence. At, school? at my school, Holy we man. had a huge celebration. Oh, it was wonderful. Amazing. We did Buffalo's largest tarantella. My students are from every country you can imagine. We had 300 kids doing the tarantella in our gym <laughs> in wow. you know their native costumes, in costume, their native uh, attire. Yeah. It was um, a beautiful experience. The one thing with teaching Italian that I don't understand though. After 30 years, I get this all the time, and it's so annoying. You know, I taught Spanish too. When I first started, I started Spanish, but I always wanted to teach Italian. We had a change of principle. The principal allowed me to resurrect the Italian program. But if I taught Spanish or a Spanish teacher, a French teacher, when we see the parents, 
and they come in for on a parents' night, open house, whatever. The parents would always, you know, want to know about their child's grades or whatever, and, and that's great. When I get the parents, the first thing that's out of their mouth is, well, you know, we're not Italian. We're, we're, we're not Italian. Yeah. If you teach Spanish, they don't say, well, we're not, right. we're not, we don't right. have Spanish or we're not French, but yet teaching Italian, the parents say right away, well, you know, we're not Italian. And I'm, oh, yeah, I can kind of tell you, you're, you're from Vietnam. What do you think that is? Why that is? You know, uh, I would. Very interesting. I, I'd like to hear what Pat thinks about it because I'm sure he's I'm got sure it. I'm, sure he's got a, I'm sure he's got it. He's on this one, brother. I'm going to that on now. Because of the fact that, you know, I think. Perhaps the fact that Spanish and French are out there more and that everybody kind of takes them wherever they go. And though you they, they think that, oh, because we offer Italian, you have to take it. You have to be Italian or something. If I had to, you know, if I could only have Italian kids in my classes, I wouldn't have a job. OK. Yeah. <laughs> and quite honestly, some of my Italian kids and I want to just smack them in the head because they are not as motivated mm. as my kids are from foreign countries. And they're wonderful. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that that's a little bit uh a little bit maddening with that. Yeah. But other than I'm that, yeah, you know, you should be appreciative of this me. thing, of this culture. They'll regret it. Trust me, you know it. When they get older, how how many letters we get from listeners mm. on the the podcast, the Time American podcast, telling us, you know, they'll tell us their stories, and inevitably, yeah. in the story is. I never learned the dialect. My parents didn't teach me. Right. I didn't speak it. My my husband's in that situation, and mm-hmm. it, it's like a pain to this day for him. Right. I mean, you didn't reject it, like, and not study in, in no, school. No, it was but. just when they, the time that they came in the, you know, early 1920s, and, and when they got here, they were yeah. just oppressed, you know? Sure. And so they wanted to be American. They wanted to speak English and, and be as American as possible. But that was the good side of the Italian uh, going on in, in, in Buffalo with regard to my school, the fact that all of these beautiful cultures are just loving it, and it's, it's flourishing, it's doing great. The bad news is that when I started teaching 30 years ago, there were nine schools that taught Italian, mostly, well, nine high schools. Now we have one, and it's mine. Wow. We, I believe, have no anymore. I don't believe we have any more. This is just within the city, though. I mean, go in the suburbs, it may be different. But in the city, we have no more elementary schools. We have Montessori school that taught it right from the beginning all the way up. And we just lost that. So now I don't believe there's anything in the elementary level. And if you know anything about learning language, the earlier the better. That's right. So actually all of the kids that I'm getting, mostly if they've had anything, they've had some Spanish. And I always tell them the Spanish is going to help you. Yeah. Because it's very close to Italian and I try to make it, I try to make it work. And my Hispanic kids are great because the Italian, or you know, the Spanish is so close to Italian, mm-hmm. that works great. Um, you know, I like to kick the Italian American kids in the rear end once in a while. Do you, you get know? a lot of them? I don't have a lot. The neighborhood where my school is used to be, but not anymore. And they come from all over the city now. It's an excellent school, though. It's one of Buffalo's best, and you it's Hutch Tech High School, and you have to take an exam. There's an entrance exam to get in. Wow. It's an engineering school. Yep, so that that's pretty much the state right now, unfortunately. We have fought for it in other school districts where they're... Uh, I know outside of Rochester there was a fight that uh, went on, and they have... Now kept it. Yace has been helpful um, with the Rochester situation. And the Italian consulate gave them some money. Yeah, I believe so. Could you explain to listeners what Yace is? I would actually ask you that question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, forget the pseudonym. What the acronym means then? Italian American Committee of Educa- on Education. Yes, Italian American Committee on Education. Yeah. Thank you. Of course, we know what that is. It's the Italian American right. Committee on Education. Yes, that's, uh, exactly right. <laughs> 
Yeah, American Committee on Education is uh, an entity that was started, I guess, oh, gosh, it's been years ago now, probably eight, ten years ago, when uh, the Italian uh, AP language exam... Uh, now, I'm gonna, I may get this wrong. Yace may be older, but I think mm -hmm. from my interaction with it, it came uh, into prominence at the crisis that occurred in, I want to say, 2008, 9, 10, something like that. So before I got to NIAF, when the AP uh, language exam was canceled, and uh, the college board basically came to the Italian uh, embassy and the Italian American community and said, not enough kids taking this exam, we're canceling it, but if you can raise X amount of money and get X amount of kids to take it over the course of a few year period, we'll bring it back. I, I felt like it was a little bit of a gun to the head mm -hmm. of uh, the Italians here, but to be fair, Yace really did a great job leading and the community got together with the embassy. NIAF made a great leadership gift, uh, gift back then raised a ton of money, and uh, within, I think, far less than the, than the years that were required, I forget how many years it was, uh, we hit those marks and we got the AP language exam preserved, and it's, it's still there, and it's a great enticement to these kids because they get college credits, and, you know, it's important. I, and I think it's wonderful, and I'm all for it. Um, we did a little bit different with uh, Buffalo State College. They offered us, um, they, I put together a, cur a curriculum for them, which was equivalent to Italian 201, which we would offer at level four at That's high great. school. That's another great strategy. And the kids, uh, they paid for the class, but provided they passed everything, they got college credit. Awesome. And so they all got it, and, and, and that worked out really well. I think my only issue with the, the, the efforts with the AP exam is the fact that I would love to see all of those efforts be put into just starting Italian programs at, at elementary schools, at high schools, you know, because the, the AP, it, how many kids really take it? The numbers are so small. And not always with success, because you have to get score very high. And, and I don't say that it should be done away with. I think it's, it's, it's great. But I'd like to see the efforts to get the Italian going again. And you know what? We have, we have a school in Buffalo for, if you want to be uh, you know, in, the, in the culinary field. We have the performing arts school. We have you know, music. Italian is the international language of music. Don't even talk about food. All of these things where I believe Italian should be at those schools as an you know, offered to them. And, and it's not. Yeah, you know? you're, you're a great guy because as a teacher of Italian, you're the first one I've ever heard say, Let's not shoot for, like, let's not worry about, because I agree with you, I think the AP, in many ways, is sort of fraudulent, to be honest with you, because, especially in this case, because, like, you're going you're to shoot for this idea where they have to pay, and I get, I get that it's an enticement and credits, this and that, but, you know, I remember a lot of people from the Italian side in the conversation, when I started getting involved, when I got to NIAF all those years ago, would say, well, we have to do this because Italian has to be seen as a major league language, mm -hmm. and the answer is like... If you're not going to invest in kids, you're not. Gonna, well, you're looking for a fake seal of approval from an organization like the College Board. When in reality, you can be putting this money way further with young kids. We're going to pick up the language in, in three years. And you know, my kids, unfortunately, in my school, because of certain requirements, they start language as sophomores. So in three years, they're going to be able to pass a very difficult AP exam. Imagine if they would have taken Italian from kindergarten or third grade and gone all the way through. And let me say, they would have done. Right. We well. spent all this time talking about the Catholic saints and the churches and, and what they mean to our community. And I've always been, having had a, a background in Catholic education, uh, I always pounded the desk at any meeting at any diocese or archdiocese that I was at and said, like, look, you're not teaching Latin anymore. Right, I get that that's not the liturgical language anymore, and this and that. But teach Italian, teach it throughout. 
the diocese, teach it. You know, we, we, we as a community should be raising money, and particularly in the Catholic schools where they need all the help they can get, let's be really honest, it's, it's a mm-hmm. very difficult economic situation. We should be paying for teachers in, in these dioceses. Catholic schools? schools? Yeah. Who runs the chanceries? Irish people. No further questions. Do you think an Irish? Do you think an Irish chancery? And I'm an I have an Irish passport. I can say it. Do you think an Irish chancery is going to come out and say, "Oh, we're going to have the Italian"? They would. They would teach Swahili first. Probably not. But my Absolutely. point being, where's the Vatican? Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, right? It's the Roman Catholic Church. But my point is, I think that that's a that's a huge, um, huge loss for us that we're not huge. more focused on the on the primary schools and getting the kids young. And it is a great language, and it, and it does offer so so much. So Luckily, much actually, in Buffalo, we do have some immersion camps for Italian, yeah. and we do have some teachers that actually do that. So we're able to, at least through that and some of our other, uh, the Centro Cultural Italiano for mm-hmm. the Italian Cultural Center, they, they provide lessons all year long and for children and families. And it's, it's a wonderful thing, but, but it right. should be in those schools. Yeah. Peter, tell our listeners a little bit about like, the current state of the Italian-American community in the western New York region. Hmm. Okay. How would you describe it? Let's see. Um, well, I think we have to be able to understand that we are a changing community. We have to understand that we all look different in the sense that sometimes we're different colors. We're a mixed community in many cases. Um, and that's why, you know, um, a lot of people still are under this mentality from what we were years ago. You know, and faces change, culture changes, our own culture, our American culture has changed. Um, and Italian culture has changed. And the Italy that our people left, even if they were more recent immigrants, is still not the Italy of today. Non esiste più. No, no, infatti. So, you know, I think that um, the status of the Italian-American in Buffalo, I really think we, and not just necessarily Buffalo, but I think we're almost at a crossroads. And we need to almost, like, define ourselves and say, you know, who are we? Who are we? What are we? What 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 do we do? What are we doing? Even with our organization, and I say to them, instead of you know, well, why don't we have a raffle? Why don't we do this? Stop. Look at our people. What do they want to do? What are their needs? And like I say from the beginning, if you don't include the young people in all of our events, then you're do you're you're shooting yourself, mm-hmm. you know, in the foot because. Right. That's only going to go on for so long. And those numbers are going to go from banquets of 500 to 400 to 200 to 100. Oh, we don't have the club anymore. And that's happened in a lot of different cases. And it's happened all over the country. So we need to re-look at ourselves and see at, at, at the club level as well. And, and almost, you know, re, revamp our mission statement and do it all and figure out what we're going to do to keep our Italian identity, to educate our family and our um, our future generations so that they will be able to feel as we do about this culture that we're so passionate about. Mm. Do you know well, what I mean? Very well said. Yeah, no, I do. Can, yeah. can I ask you to read the speech that you uh, spoke today? I never heard someone hit oh. the bull out of the park about <laughs> where we are today like you did. Well, that's very kind of you. So I'm going to should I pick it up with what our original mission was and how it's changed and what we have to do? I, I think the whole speech was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, okay. if there's some parts... Well, if you have the first part was just like thanking Basil and all that stuff. So I'm just going to... I'll start with our mission, if that's okay. Perfect. Okay? All right. Do what you feel is right. All right. 
Okay. Well, originally the mission of the Federation of Italian-American Societies of Western New York, founded in 1907, was to encourage and assist on the naturalization and best orientation of our Italian immigrants, to encourage the teaching, learning, and preservation of the Italian language, and to celebrate annually the explorations and contributions of Christopher Columbus with appropriate festivities. While a lot has changed since 1907, and millions of Italian immigrants are no longer arriving on our shores, the Italian language is not spoken by most Italian Americans, sadly, and Columbus Day is under constant attack. We must revisit our mission to continue to promote the teaching of Italian at schools and universities, fight for Columbus Day and what it stands for to Italian Americans, to celebrate everything positive that we possibly can about our most beautiful culture and heritage, and above all, educating our youth about it. We as leading Italian-American organizations must look at ourselves in the mirror to better understand the changing Italian-American community of today and ask ourselves, how can we better serve them? What do they want? What are their needs? And are we willing to adapt to meet those needs? At our September meeting of the Federation, I'm going to individually ask each of our organizations to work with their officers and determine what events can be developed to include and attract our younger generation Sorry, folks, but the dinner dance, the Cenaballo, is becoming obsolete and offers very little attraction for our youth today. The last Cenaballo I was at, by the way, there were ambulances pulling up because people were getting heart attacks on the oh dance floor. Uh, it, you know, it was just the average age was about <laughs> at least we have 75. Together. You know? We are the biggest losers if we think that our organizations will continue to thrive by holding dinner dances. At the next dinner dance, look around the hall and ask yourself, what is the average age? Is there anybody here in their 20s? The youngest is usually around 50. We need to think out of the box and be willing sometimes to make some unpopular decisions. But we owe this to our future generations. We must do our fair share in teaching our children, our grandchildren, where their family came from in Italy and why they came here, their struggles and sacrifices, the sacrifices that our forefathers made. Teach the Italian language beyond the bad words. Italian songs, music, art, food, recipes, that's the easy stuff. And faith in God, family, and country. For if we do not, future generations of our family mixed with other ethnicities and cultures, as it happens, will be reduced to not knowing where their family is from. Maybe a bad word in Italian. No music, songs, art. A questioning faith in God and no knowledge of the sacrifices made by our forefathers. So basically, we'll leave them with a plate of spaghetti and meatballs. The work of the ISDA and the Federation of Italian American Societies of Western New York is more important now than ever. This is the very least that we can do for our children. Don't we owe it to our forefathers whose shoulders we stand on? Our lives are all made possible because of their courage, courageousness, and of these immigrant forefathers and their sacrifices have allowed for our successes. I leave you with the Italian proverb, l'unione fa la forza, in unity there is strength. Our federation stands proudly together with the great ISDA as we continue with our mission, always cognizant of our troubled and at times glorious past, defending and celebrating our heritage and contributions while reinforcing a strong foundation for our future generations. Che Dio vi benedica tutti, vi ringrazio di nuovo. God bless you all. Thank you. Bravo. That was it.
<laughs> and today it got a rousing ovation. Yeah. Really good. Everybody was really uh, moved, and I know from my experience working institutionally in this community for so long, I was so impressed to hear somebody talk about the courage that needed to change because we talk about this in the show a lot. You get caught up in this idea of going backwards or preserving. It's not that. It's evolving. It's about it's about consciously evolving who yes. we are and accepting evolution. And you know, I goes back to the greatest piece of Italian literature of the 20th century, the leper, Il Gatto Pardo, and the idea mm-hmm. that you know, if we want things to stay the same, they have to change. And mm-hmm. that's a hard pill to swallow. And, and as an immigrant community evolving and you know assimilating or integrating, it is a hard pill to swallow because we're not on the the corpus anymore. We're an arm detached from the body. So evolving and changing is kind of unnatural in a way too. But uh, just the way we do things is so controversial in our community and so many groups that say, you know, we want to grow, we want to attract young people. Uh, then they have a young person's night and halfway through they're complaining about uh, it's too loud to play briefcase. <laughs> like, get them out of the building. You know I mean, like that, that's who we are in a lot of ways. And it, and it takes that courage to say there's going to be different ways to attach to your heritage in the future. Mm-hmm. And that's what this project is about. And, and that's what all the projects that we've all come together to do are really about, just creating alternatives and accepting that what works for one might not work for the other. Mm-hmm. But calling out the dinner dance... That's a real. That's a real. To the dinner dance. That was a dinner dance crowd. That was a dinner dance crowd. I was like, he just. So hold on. We are disclaimer. A certain group, John, has the best dinner dance in the world. Outside the Mangays, the Club. There you go. No, I don't. Joey runs it, but I'm on the club that has a best. Our dinner dance is special. But everybody else is. That's true. No, but you know, it's not to do away with it. I'm not a about doing right. away with right. it. But for some groups, right. that's all they more have. Exactly. What are we going to do? Let's do another dinner yeah. dance. Are you kidding more me? More than that. Yeah. It's it more than that. It doesn't work for everybody. It no. doesn't work for regeneration. And, you know, you right. have to offer alternatives. But can I say something? Yeah. I, I want to shout out to my club, the Santa Margarita Chilento Club. They did follow your example because they got a DJ who plays Italian music geared toward young people. They, got, right. they bought an additional hour with it at 1 a.m., so people can stay and dance. Oh, no, listen, you can evolve these things. Sure, that's what I'm like, saying. That's look, exactly what I'm saying. When I got to the National Italian American Foundation, obviously I had been going there my whole adulthood and, and a lot of my teenage years, the Friday night concert, let's face it, it was boring as heck. It was a boring show with a spaghetti bar and uh, everybody dancing, you know, sort of slow to whatever they played at the end, like elevator music. <laughs> and I was like, no, we got to change this up. We brought in... Uh, casino nights some years. We brought in different acts and a variety show and comedians and a, and a, and a you know no more sit down dinner, but a, a cocktails or hors d'oeuvres or some years at, towards the end we just let people have dinner. We did a whole dine around with the Italian uh, restaurants in DC, and you came for a late night show. And you know what? The proudest moment of my time at NIAF, I really believe, in, in all my six years, and uh, thanks to my compadre Dolores over here to help me. <laughs> We did one of those variety shows. I think it was the 40th, or 41st, maybe? It was I think it was 41st. 40, yeah, I and uh, I really wanted to change it up. <laughs> we did it late night. We had open bar, no food, photo booth, lounge area. <clears throat> we had comedians. We had uh, Joe Piscopo, Lena Prima, a couple of other acts. And I said, I've always wanted to have everybody at the foundation get up and dot and dell together. Mm-hmm. And... Dolores said, well, I got the person for you. Mm-hmm. 
So she brought out uh, Mikel Malazzi, who was the who was the uh, host of Bare Feet with Mikel Malazzi, which is a great show of, about dance all over the world. But she's obviously Italian American, and so I, uh, you know, our, our crowd then was like we had ninety year olds who've been coming for mm-hmm. you know, the forty years of NIAF's history, and we had young kids who we had really worked hard to bring in over the past few years, and it was a pretty even mix. And so the night came, and we introduced Michaela, and I was so nervous that the older crowd was going to be like, what is this? You know what I mean? I, so I, I actually hid backstage, and I remember... <laughs> you I, were hiding! I, 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 I was like, what is he doing? I, I had a scotch <laughs> of water, man. I did, I had a scotch of water, I was like, through, and they announced, and she's like, oh, okay, everybody up, and I'm like, oh man, I'm going to get fired. This, the people are not going to be into it. And you know... I love that you trusted me anyway, though. Like, yeah. You had all this anxiety about it that you never told me about. Yeah. Anyway. That's ahead. true. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Uh, that might, might have said something. Because we didn't mm-hmm. know each other as well as we do now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember peeking my head out. And I'm like... All of a sudden, there were... First of all, some board members. So I knew I wasn't getting fired. And there was an old lady <laughs> and young college. And everybody was dancing together. And I... If I take anything away from my time there, the pictures of that great. dance... Like, it didn't do it justice. Pictures didn't do it justice. Film didn't. You had to be there. It was this swirling mass of joy. And it, was, and it was just the courage to say, you got to try something different. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not about wanting different events for the young versus the old. Yeah. The, the pinnacle is to get that time together. Absolutely. To create a safe and yeah. fun and, and accessible environment that everybody can relate to so that the culture and the traditions can be transferred. Because That's really our culture, though. It's, yeah. not, yes. it's not the older generation. And they, you don't want a, a bitter dance together. for like, the old and a no. concert for the young that just have Italian flags there. It's about no, being together. That's what together. makes the Italian yeah. culture being yeah. together, being a family, being a community. I think it's part of why Sunday dinner is so special. Like yes. Even with us, we do now, we call it family nights. We do Monday night dinners. My nieces and nephews... They're getting older now. They're like, you know, 12 and 15 and, and like 21. <laughs> but they still, and since they were kids, love coming to family night. Yeah. They love it. And there's the older generation, like Nona and when my father, when Animo was alive, you know, he was there. And then there's us and all the aunts and uncles and then all the cousins. And they love it. And it's not supposed to be, oh, this is for the kids. Oh, this is for, you know, the, the adults. This is for the old. No, it's the... The beauty of it is we're we're all together, all of us wrapped That's intertwined. Cold That's cold. what you know, we're about. One of the things that I teach to my students, who are again from every background, um, sometimes I tell them, you know, I know I'm here to teach you language, but I want to go beyond language, and I want you to understand what Italian culture is all about. Mm-hmm. And I tell them one of the best things that you can do is next time you have dinner at your house, don't take that plate and go to your bedroom. Mm. You know, don't uh, say, oh, I'm not going to eat now, I'll eat later, I'll go to McDonald's or something. Sit down and eat together. And that, that may be the most important time of the day, the only time you get to talk to your parents, mm. your, your brother, sister, whoever it is. But, you know, and then I explain to them about the Sunday dinner tradition and all of that. But I tell them, you know, it is so important and if you could take anything away from this class, it's more important to me that you take away that tradition than I that you learn the passato prossimo. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's more important to me that you do that with your family. And I really mean that. And they love, love, love it. And they'll tell me, guess what? 
we ate dinner last night together. Aww. It's really, that's what I want them to take away from it. And and I think that's one of the reasons why it's kind of very popular at my school. Everybody wants to take yeah, Italian. Yeah, because you put so And I'm not saying it's because it. of me. Well, I'm saying it's because of culture. You know, I'm saying it's a lot of it for you. I'm stunned. They take their plates and they eat upstairs alone? He's stuck on that. <laughs> I can't tell me you never heard of that before. No, honestly, I, could, I, honestly. Even, I could never even fathom it. Pat was shocked that I didn't shave every day. So we're talking about a, just a different mentality. I, I, don't, I don't allow a, a, a plate of food to go outside of our, our kitchen or dining room. It never would have happened. You know, it would have been a thing. Never. Been, imagine, number one, there was the room we never, ever of us ever went into. Was no one ever yeah, went into, which is plastic the covered. Yes. The, covered. And that the was plastic room has no... Has the plastic room has ever seen food. It seemed the bombardier and the other <laughs> But no matter, no matter how dysfunctional we are, we always eat together as a, as a people. You know, it's always been the glue that's held yeah. us together is the commonality around the table. Yeah. My mother was adamant. And my yeah, father so was all like My animal. father was... You and count heads. Home, yeah. no. my, brothers, home, we were together. my brothers used to wrestle. They were very good wrestlers. And so they would be around like Thanksgiving, Christmas time, they'd be dropping weight. But my father used to make them sit at the table with us. Awesome. He did not care that they were not eating. It could be Thanksgiving, Christmas. He was like, you're part of this family. And you used to make it, here they are not eating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, <laughs> And they would have to sit there and all like the food. And my father's like, I, it's important. You have to be here. Mm-hmm. I mean, a little bit torturous. Yeah. But <laughs> I have like an image in my head that I think is a very beautiful image of this intergenerational thing. And I, I see it all the time and I think about it. One, there's two. One is I actually have a picture of me and my, my aunt. My aunt's a lot older than my mother, so she's probably, she's like 87 now or something like that. Maybe even a little older. And it's on a trip where, and I'm in Italy, and I'm very, you know, I have like long, light hair, and I'm wearing like a strapless dress. I have these big designer sunglasses on, my big gold earrings, my nails are done. And I'm, it's this beautiful picture with my aunt, and my aunt looks very much like a, a traditional Nonna, like an mm-hmm. Italian Nonna. Her hair is not done. She's wearing like her house apron. And I love that picture so much because to me, that is being Italian. That's it. And then you see, take those two very same people and you're at a feast. And I'm holding her arm yeah. as we walk through the feast. That's being Italian. It's yeah. not mm-hmm. just old timers in the room. And the kids are like, ah, I'm not coming to that. It's it's that mix. Right. That's what you got to give them. Right, and that's, that's a gift we can give. Are you going to wear it's one like, of those? Ha- we should get you a house dress. <laughs> I have one. I wear it. In- <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, that's a we should post on social media. Dolores in her house dress. She's going to be uh, selling them for $19.99. <laughs> but I think that that's a, that's a great uh, takeaway from the episode to send out to all those people working hard in the community in different areas. Whatever you're doing, just keep in mind that it's about the ability to be together and the availability of, of venues to be together mm-hmm. more than anything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you can't get lost in the sort of details and structures. It, it, it's not about the profane, it's about the sacred, you know, and that's really, really important. Uh, all right, so well, before we wrap up this episode, which is uh, experimental on our great Italian-American road trip, but a hell of a lot of fun to yeah. be in these towns. Always fun to hang out with Peter. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It, it really is. This is really mm-hmm. enjoyable. But... We have to have some utility to this for the listeners because we want them to come see Buffalo and want them to know your insights as a leading Italian American here. So I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions, and I will say, oh boy, again, here it goes. We have all of the ability to edit, so if you uh, answer wrong, 
We can fix it. So don't be. T- is there a buzzer? That's the buzzer. I'm the buzzer. Zapper. I'm gonna ring a bell. Shock you. Just like Chino Paradiso, the priest with the bell. There you go. You can answer in. Uh, in sentences, but you know we'll, we'll keep it uh, under a minute each, if that's okay. So okay, you know, we'll try. factor yourself. Yeah, it's an Italian show. Uh, all right. So, are there any? Don't a, say best restaurants. Don't no, put be- it in best, that spot. Don't say best. Yeah. I'm make you judge. Because then everybody yeah. will be. But no, what I want, what I want to ask you first of all mm-hmm. is more important to me than like how people judge best food is the oldest restaurants in a place. I love those back in time. Italian American restaurants. They're different than Italian cuisine. Mm-hmm. Any of those in Buffalo that are like must visit? Well, absolutely. We have Chef's Restaurant, which is probably the most famous, but a restaurant that may be older than Chef's, which is down the same street, not that far, is Ditondo. And Ditondo's in English, but <laughs> Ditondo. And they have only a certain hours that they're open. Their food is absolutely amazing. Um, it's not as uh, fancy or as elaborate as Chef's is, but it's it's wonderful. So those are, I think, two of Buffalo's oldest Italian restaurants. Because we went to Chef's last night, <clears throat> yeah, by the way. Oh, okay. We, we stumbled onto Chef's last night because every time I go to a different city, I'm like, what's the oldest restaurant? And uh, we went to Chef's, and that was a really fun night. We had a really fun night. We did. We have fun wherever we go. But it's it's a very Ita- it's a very Italian American. I mean, think cheese. Italian American. Oh, the, the sauce of, on top. You know, sauce. You know, I, 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 I get, like, the hair on my arm stands up when I see these plates drowned in sauce. Yeah. But yet my wife loves that. I, I, I can't I take it. I love it. I didn't eat too much. I, yeah, but it's, do you love it? Fun. Full it's of sauce. Fun. I, mean, I, I'm a, I think of myself as a... Are you gravy people or sauce people? Sauce. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Gravy sauce. I'm gravy. <laughs> we just had that episode. Oh, okay. I remember it. Gravy. I listened to it. Just came out a couple days ago. Oh, I almost never did the show again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so. so but if you're up here, it's it's not a bad place to pop in and get. You know, it's very like. Or Ditondo's down the street. Say. Those would be the, probably yeah. the oldest Italian American. Okay. I love that stuff. I love a place that feels like it could have been there in the yeah. '30s or the '70s. Yep. And, you know, I, I, anything you can anything you can do to feel like you stepped in a time machine That's makes fun. me feel really good. Uh, so okay, so how about the like the biggest day of the year? Like what? Like you know, some communities it's Columbus Day, some it's St. Joseph's. What's the day that people try not to miss in the Italian community here? When do you see the most of us? Because together? of the fact that we're predominantly Sicilian, it's St. Joseph's Day. Awesome. Tell us about it. St. Joseph's Day. We all. Well, first of all, being the president of my organization, I try to attend all of my organization's St. Joseph tables. God bless. And you. when I tell you, it is just craziness because there are there are dozens and dozens and dozens oh, of them. Mom. So I, I can't get to all of them, but I get to as many as I can. We start with Mass at St. Anthony's Church, and that's always sacred. I always do the St. Joseph's table at St. Anthony's Church because it's very authentic. They're, they're a wonderful uh, family from Bagheria, outside of Palermo in Sicily, that cook all of the food, um, and it's all homemade, and it's all out of this world. Um, and then the Sfinci, which is probably a version of your Crispelle, I'm not sure, or Zeppole. Yeah. We call them Sfinci. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the Sfinci are made from uh, the pasticceria Romano, which is a very good friend of ours, a paisano from our hometown in Sicily. The desserts are phenomenal. And then from there, you just go St. Joseph's Day table hopping. But the one nice <laughs> thing is they're not on all, not on all March 19th. Oh, so wow. we do March 19th. I probably go to four or five. But then I'm going to St. Joseph's tables for like two weeks. And nice. I've got pasta con zardi coming out of my ears. <laughs> I've got, <laughs> the beauty of that is this is so Italian, so Sicilian. 
St. Joseph's is supposed to be a, an indulgence in, in the middle of Lent where you can have all these things. So to stretch it out two weeks <laughs> and cheat on the Lenten restrictions. But never, ne- it never, never meet. meet. But never the sweets and all, you know, yeah. that's, I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah, so we're a big St. Joseph's Day community. That's awesome. And, and people really show up. Oh, hundreds. In fact, the one I will say, Lenovo Pizzeria, which um, is on our one of our older uh, pizzerias, on the west side, which was one of our original Little Italy's, still there, uh, he does a St. Joseph's feast that uh, he opens up to the whole community for free. Wow. And the line is all the way down the block. Wow. And the, the news comes and they film it. And so it, it, that's a tradition he's done. The Tadaro family has done that for years. That's awesome. I had no idea. I didn't know that there were, I didn't know Buffalo primarily Sicilian. Yeah. And I didn't know St. Joseph's was still, because yeah, we go down to New Orleans every year. Uh, to work with our friends on there, and it's great to know there's something closer to home. It's That's huge here. It's awesome. huge. That yeah. is awesome. And we, you know, it's St. Patrick's Day is big because of the Irish here, right. and it's all he gets all the fanfare and the parade and all of that stuff. But St. Joseph's Day, we really uh, do our best to get that out there too. So uh, That's awesome. Yeah. So, okay, my next question is. Uh, is there a place in town where you can still go and get those really hard-to-find Italian-American ingredients? If you're a cook and you need to find mm-hmm. some of that really rich sure. stuff, where do you go? Guerchos. Guerchos. It's, it's on Grant Street, which is, again, the old Little Italy. Um, and they have just, it's a great Italian import store. And they have just about anything and everything you could ask for. I just went there the other day to get some guguzza. Oh, wow. Um, it's a Sicilian guguzza, not ones. zucchini. Really? You know, the yellow. Um, and... Um, it's a wonderful family. They're from Chefalu. Wow. They're from Chefalu, and uh, the Guercio family's been there for, for decades and decades. So that's the one go-to place. But we have several Italian. There's Caruso's on Hurdle in, in North Buffalo, which has a lot of that kind of stuff as well. Those are the two places that I go to the most, but there are a few others as well. Uh, how about a bakery? Yes. Um, pastry shop, I should say. Pasticceria, I would still stick with Romano. Um, it's the Battaglia family from Valedolmo, Sicily. They have the best cassata, the best uh, cannoli. I love cassata. That's what you wanted last yes. night. Oh, so let's talk I'm going to go tomorrow. I'm, I'm going to be there tomorrow. Yeah. I don't want to take too much time, but tell me what the Italian cassata, real Sicilian cassata, versus what I think of as a Sicilian American. It's very different, right? Okay. Here, is it Sicilian American? Is it frosting versus the almond paste? What's on the outside of it? Yeah, um, I would probably say it's more Italian American in the sense that the almond paste, they do a lot with almond paste and all of that. But on the cassata, I don't think as much. They do the almonds going all the way around, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, The cannoli filling with rum or without chocolate chips. um, And the, the very light... With creamy uh, frosting. And the light with creamy frosting, yeah. yeah. I love that. And I don't really like cassata, to be honest. It's like a horrible thing for Sicilian-American. My wife. <laughs> we're a mixed marriage. My wife hates cassata, and I love cassata. And every birthday, I want cassata. And, I yeah. got it every birthday, we were always in Italy for Ferragosa. My birthday oh, was two days ago. Wow, happy birthday. Cassata, thank you. Uh-huh. When she bought me cassata, I had to pretend like I liked it. Every time uh-huh. that green cake came out, I'm like, oh, man, I wish I was born yeah. in January. It was I wish I was Irish. (laughs) Give me a soda bro with a candle. I never in my life said I wish I was Irish. Uh, So, another question for me. I love when we travel around the sort of local uh, Italian-American delicacies. You know, uh, in Mm -hmm. St. Louis, it's fried ravioli. and Anything here in western New York that's sort of local uh, and only found here in the Italian-American community? 
Well, um, there's a few different dishes. I mean, there's the garduna, garduna. Oh, yeah, you know, one of my favorites. We, we, you know, we're big on that, and it's always got to be like around the end of May, early June. And some people try to pass it off and give you celery, which is not garduna. Really? You know, wow, that's <laughs> when kind of, they run out of that. that my man, grandfather would <laughs> murder you if you gave celery to garduna. That'd be like uh, dead in the house. And all because you know we're we're basically from the peasant farmer type uh, schools. So any of the greens we eat, you know, whatever it is, we eat it. Mozzarella, chicoria, whatever it is. Uh, so all of those are big here. But something that the general public should know is that Buffalo is famous for obviously. I think everybody calls them outside of Buffalo buffalo wings. <laughs> we call them chicken wings. They're not chick- buffalo wings in Buffalo. <laughs> you you call them chicken wings here. So it's French toast, French and French, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> the chicken wing was invented was invented by Italian Americans. The Bellissimo family, the Teresa Bellissimo was the mom. I think Dominic was her husband, and it was right up this street on Main Street, the Anchor Bar, which is still in existence. And you, that's what happened was her uh, her son came in late with his friends and. Uh, he said, Ma, we're hungry. What can you do for us? She went in the back. She put together this chicken wing. She put the, she put the sauce together. She threw, cut up some celery, some carrots. She got blue cheese. Here you go. Mangiate. And that from there, da cosa nasce cosa. You know, mm-hmm. the, l'effetto farfalla is what had happened. And it just be, it blew up. So yeah. if not for Mamone Italian boy, we'd have no buffalo wings. <laughs> that, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Buffalo wings are Italian. Wow. Italian-American. No wonder you love them, Drew. <laughs> 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 but in Buffalo, call them chicken wings. Chicken wings. <laughs> chicken wings. Are there any Italian-American monuments, museums, things that people can visit here to attach to the culture? Okay, well, we have a few different monuments that are of very great importance to us. One is our Statue of David, which is in Delaware Park because it was made from the original, the cast of the original statue. And it's one of the only in the whole world, there's, there's, there's like two in America that were made from the original cast. Wow. So that was gifted to us. And I, I should tell you this because I think it's an important Italian American Italian, uh, story, but the fact is that forever, that statue has been here, um, I don't know, since the early 1900s, but forever it said, David, Michael, Angelo, two separate words. Now, this has been a thorn in the side for Italian, the Italian community here forever. Sure. Imagine bringing people from Italy. We always, we're so proud of that statue because it's amazing. It's immense. It's beautiful and all of that. We bring them there. The Italian people say, David, Angelo, ma che cosa questo? That is embarrassing. And it's like, so we've had Italian mayors. We've, the Italian community has gone to the Italian mayors to get it changed. Niente. Niente. Wow. So we finally, um, the Federation took it upon it ourselves to say, okay, we're going to get a bronze plaque put over that. We're not going to deface the base. We're going to put it over the plaque. It's going to say David, David, and it'll say Michelangelo with the years, and that's it. You know, we're not looking to recreate anything special. Not even our name is on it that we did that, but we want a bronze plaque. We want to do this. And Mayor Byron Brown, who is our current mayor, he's been mayor now for a long time, and he's done a great job. He agreed to it. He let us do it. And so now it correctly states Michelangelo. So that is one of the statues we're most proud of. We have a Christopher Columbus statue that is extremely, um, I think it's a beautiful statue. It's in Columbus Park up Niagara Street. And that uh, gets defaced annually, unfortunately. And uh, we are working on having cameras put there. 
Um, so that's another statue. We also have a statue to Italian-American uh, veterans. We have a statue to Verdi, which is beautiful, at uh, Kleinhans Music Hall. And those are the ones that come to my mind off the top of my head. Wow. As far as our monuments. That's so. all? <laughs> Man, it's pretty rich. I, I can't name that many in Manhattan. Yeah, I know, it's the truth. So that means if you're coming here, you've got a lot of places to stop on your tour. You should just call Peter. I, I have, That's true. I, I want to also tell you that the Market Arcade building, which is right up Main Street here, and, you know, it's not huge, you know, you could pass by it, but it's very ornate on the outside. When you go in there, it is a miniature galleria from Napoli mm-hmm. or Milano. Really? Wow. It's Where a mini- miniature galleria. So you're definitely going to be able to feel the Italian fingerprint on the city. Uh, and you should probably call Peter and, and uh, get a tour while you're here. Because he doesn't have enough going on. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> I do nothing. Nine thousand jobs. I do nothing. All right, so my last question: Tell us uh, any famous Italian Americans that come from Buffalo. You know there there are many, and had I known you would have asked me that question, I would have prepared a whole list. And I feel a little embarrassed because I can't think of all of them, but there are a few that I can think of. One of them actually was born in Buffalo, um, of current day, of a current um, actor, David Boreanaz. And people don't often know that he's Italian with the last name of Boreanaz, but it's Italian. Hmm. And he, um, he was born here. So he's one. Carla Gugino's roots were here. I don't think she was born here. I think her father was from here. Um, and something that's kind of interesting with a very famous person, not of Italian ancestry, but... Um, Lucille Ball, who was born in Jamestown, which is to our south about an hour, an hour and a half. Um, in Jamestown, which is a great city with a great Italian population, they're predominantly Sicilian as well. St. James Church is real big there. They've got a great dance troupe. Shout out to them. Uh, but in that town, you're either Swedish or you're Italian. And the two never mixed until later years when they actually did. <laughs> However, at the time when Lucille Ball was in her day prior to becoming famous... She had a thing for dating all of the... Well, I don't want to say all. (laughs) But my grandmother would have told you all. (laughs) But she had a thing for dating the Italian men. So many of the Italians of Jamestown actually knew her quite well. Um, My grandmother wasn't from Jamestown, but her gumari was from Jamestown. So she would go visit her all the time. And she would actually be in company, in the company with Lucille Ball. And she's always with the Italian men, this one. Mm. Always with the Italian men. She got a little bit of reputation that wasn't so good among the Italian women. But the Latin lover, the Latin lover prior to Desi Arnaz was the Italians of Jamestown. All they would have done for us as a people if like her husband was Italian. Was Louis? Wow. That's a whole other episode. Would that have been a plus or a minus? Because like if you look at Italian portrayals in the 50s on TV, they're pretty terrible. Like there's not that much, and what is is terrible. So boy, it might have been interesting. But gives no idea that stopping of the grapes. Totally, that would have been more than a one-off. But that is a topic for another episode, and uh, it's a good time for us to wrap up on that account. Peter, thank you so much for taking the time and spending so much time with us. We know you are busy. For our fans out there and our listeners, we hope you've enjoyed this little insight, this varying, wandering, uh, oftentimes exhilarating insight into more (laughs) than just the Italian life here in Buffalo. But I hope it's the first of many. And uh, we look forward to taking you on another adventure in the near future. So thanks again. Arrivederci. And we'll see you soon. Say that you
born in Italian. You want your life to be great. From the moment you're a small bambino, you eat pizza, you drink vino. Then to make you roll it, Polly, you get stuffed with ravioli. <laughs> 